You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. Today's guests are Lee and Kathy Baker, uh, former Mormons. Lee used to be a bishop for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for over 32 years. Uh, Kathy was raised in the church. Now they, they are part of the Witnesses for Jesus Ministry, and uh, they run the Mainstream Mormonism radio show. And um, also the website LeeBakerForMormon.org, and they're joining us. They're joining the podcast today to talk about the LDS Church. Uh, Lee, Kathy, thanks for joining. Uh, now I got a list of questions here, and I don't have them written in any logical order. I meant to do that, but I got called into work today. So, <laughs> um, but one, th- I guess my first question is. Uh, Oh, you had said on one of your videos that a lot of the things that you, the questions that you had that the church got mad at you for asking, that almost all of those things are now published on the church's website, which I've noticed that, questions that I had, and then I left the church, and pe- other people say, no, the church doesn't believe that, and then now the church has silently started publishing them, but not publicizing them. And so, does it bother you that all the things that you got in trouble for asking about are now easily found on the on church sources? Yeah, it, it kind of does. And when the church started publishing the gospel uh, topic essays in 2013, I guess they were about halfway through uh, when I got the idea to write the church back, and I did, and I could send you a copy of this letter if you'd like. But okay. uh, I pointed out the fact that... Uh, as an active high priest bishop, I asked these exact same questions, and now the church had answered them uh, to the affirmative when, through my five-year journey of discovery for those exact same questions, they were all considered, uh, or I was told that those were lies from the uh, anti-Mormons, and, and now that they had been published by the First Presidency, I asked if I could have another uh, a court or trial to uh, retry those same questions now that it appeared that the church had changed their mind and of course they didn't answer that back it was more of an exercise in futility but it did give me a little bit of uh, comfort knowing that uh, you know the assistant to the assistant of a clerk nobody important had read the fact that uh, I was excommunicated seriously for asking questions that now were public knowledge more or less uh, and uh, the sarcasm was hey since you guys changed your mind and I never did how let's do the court again and see how it turns out this time well you know um, see on my mission I had a lot of questions but I tried to stuff them in the back burner you know because I thought you know things I shouldn't be worried about but after my mission I started investigating these things and uh, well one of the things everybody always said is that uh, I had heard that Joseph Smith had a lot of wives, and the church at that point, uh, it's in 
in the uh, institute classes and everything, they taught that Joseph Smith only had one wife. Brigham Young had a lot, but Joseph Smith only had one. And then I found evidence that he had uh, a bunch of wives, including polyandrous relationships and several minors. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also too is that a lot of times you'd ask people about you know uh, about the whole thing about God used to be a man, and uh, they'd say, well, that's not an official church doctrine, or that we could be gods. <laughs> well, I asked my somebody asked me on my mission about that. They about they said, do you believe you can be God someday? And and uh, I asked my mission president how we should answer those questions, and he outright told me to lie about it. He said. He, he said, uh, I said, what should I say when people ask me if we believe we can be gods? And he said, tell them we don't believe it. And I said, but we do believe it, President. And he said, yes, we do. And uh, oh. and actually, for the people, for some members still deny that the church believes that. But if you go to the section heading on Doctrine and Covenants 132, where it gives a brief overview of what this section is about, it says uh, plain out, um, about people becoming gods when they follow the new and everlasting covenant. <laughs> yeah. Right, and, and 132 was first published, uh, openly published in uh, 1876, but the, the point is, there is a church essay entitled Becoming Like God, mm-hmm. which really clarifies, uh, and, and I've been kind of sh- struck by that, uh, that the, the church has tried to become more honest about their past lives. And I really believe this whole effort has been driven by the legal department of the church. I don't think the First Presidency or the Quorum of the Twelve do much without, uh, you know, advice from the legal uh, division of the church or the public affairs office of the church. So, I just, curiosity here, so the... uh uh, I think it's President Nelson now has said that uh, you know they're making a bunch of changes in the church, getting rid of pageants and uh, trying to make the church look more Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that they will ever take the Angel Moroni off the temples to to and uh, to further their efforts to look more Christian? Mm, I don't. I don't think so. I, I believe that uh, we're watching the beginning of the breakup of the church. In fact. Uh, from some of the uh, more well-known apostates of the church, uh, we hear that uh, there are more members leaving now than any other time in the history of the church. Okay, so there's there was several uh, historical exodus uh, from Mormonism, 1844, 1845, and then uh, uh, 1890, uh, and of course the reason being the death of Joseph Smith and then the cover-up of uh, polygamy. But as I understand it, the current uh, exit from the church uh, overshadows both of those. But specific to the the question, and, and within uh, our research, and I'm sure you know this as well, in Joseph Smith's own handwriting within his diary, uh, speaking about the uh, the angel Moroni in his bedroom, he claims that it was the angel Nephi. Uh, not Moroni. So it, it was about six years after the death of Joseph Smith that the church formally altered that history. You can still go online. I could send you the link. Uh, and uh, it's it's actually within the Joseph Smith papers that uh, Joseph Smith uh, told the story that the angel Nephi came to his bedroom, not Moroni. So there's all kinds of things that uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how deep 
the church changes. So when you were active in the church, you know, I know that you knew about that as uh, God is, man wants, or as uh, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. But yes. did you ever think about the ramifications of that, of what that actually means? Uh, no. I thought about it. I mean, I didn't really think about it until after my mission. And I started thinking about it. And I thought, well, if God used to be a man and he became a God by following the rules, that means logically that the God that Mormons serve has a God. And so I asked my bishop, and he said he didn't know. So he told me I should ask the stake president. So I asked the stake president, and I, I said, asking about it, I said, so uh, God used to be a man. And he said, yes, that's true doctrine. And I said, okay, well, then in that case, wouldn't that mean that he has a God? And he said, yes, I guess so. And I said, so why are we worshiping a lower God instead of worshiping the ultimate God? And he said, he said, Brother Curl, I don't know, but if you keep asking questions like this, I'm going to be forced to excommunicate you. <laughs> so, this no, no, this was after my mission. Uh, and so I stopped going to church for a long time after that. I came back for a little while and quit going again and then finally just stopped going altogether. <laughs> but that was like one of the, I think, telling me that they were going to excommunicate me for asking questions was really one of the straws that broke the camel's back. Yeah, and it's common. Uh, we've told that story before because I was a Sunday school teacher for the uh, stake president, and you know, well accepted in the in the ward and in the stake. And when I started questioning, they they had kind of a, a struggle what to do with me because I was well ensconced within the leadership and teaching of the church and and considered a good friend. And uh, but I got exactly the same answer. And it's amazing uh, how many times I tell that story and people say, no, that can't be true. So it's awesome to hear you say that because that, uh, that must have been some kind of uh, instruction, at least in the area authority realm down to the state presidents, that there is a limit on what questions. And, of course, Christians cannot fathom that idea. I know. I have explained to Christians there's not even a forum there's not a place, there's not a classroom, there's not an event, there's not a meeting. There's no time during any meeting within any Mormon structure where you do have open questions. It doesn't exist. Well, have you and, ever read the Boyd K. Packard's letter to CES teachers? Uh, uh -huh. In that, he says that there are sometimes, in an attempt to cover all of history. They cover everything that happened, and he's, uh, including the things that make the church look bad. And he said, not everything that's true is useful. Oh, I've heard that quote, but I didn't know where oh, it came yeah. from. Dallin H. Oaks said that on a TV interview, too, on, um, yeah. back in... PBS. Yeah, it was, a, it was originally from Boyd K. Packard. So. That's beautiful. And uh, okay. I'm trying to, I, somewhere I have written down the exact reference for where that came from. Um, and if you want, I can find it and send it to you, but I don't remember at the top of my head. No, that's beautiful, Gene, because that, that actually describes, it puts a framework around our mission. Now, we've been out of the church for about 10 years and active for about nine years uh, in, in uh, witnessing to Mormons all over the planet. And uh, the framework we take is that we actually teach Mormonism to the Mormons and and then try to lead them to Jesus Christ because the only way to really 
break the heart of a Mormon is to show them what it is the church believes. And quite often, it's been entertaining where I will take the position or Kathy will take the position where we will represent the First Presidency or the Quorum of the Twelve, and the people we're speaking to will have their own opinion. And it leads us to the point where we get to say, well, that's your opinion, but I'm, I am representing the First Presidency here. Well, you know, what people, what bothered me most when I was investigating the church wasn't things put out from anti-Mormon sources, you know, quote-unquote anti-Mormon. It was the uh, things that I found in church sources, like probably the worst thing that I could have ever done for my testimony of the church is I went to a yard sale and they had the complete set of the Journal of Discourses for, I think, like $10 or something. And so I picked it up and I started reading the Journal of Discourses. Oh, man. That was never the same. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it doesn't take external sources. That's what's, that's part of the beauty of witnessing to, to Mormons and the, and, uh, and the danger in their own life is they have to answer for things they're not responsible for. And I did that as a bishop myself. Are, oh, yeah. are you familiar with this book? Yes. Okay. Got it. Oh, missionary gospel. Yeah. This. This is. This is what. They've gone different one, but this is when I was in the missionary training center. This is what they gave us. Now, people. I always tell people that Joseph. That the church believes that we cannot go to heaven without Joseph Smith, and they said that is not true. And I said yes, it is. And it says now. There's more to this quote from Brigham Young. Like Brigham Young says that that Joseph Smith reigns in heaven and he's he's the God of heaven. But this is a right. abbreviated quote in that book, and it says, Joseph Smith holds the keys of this last dispensation is now engaged behind the veil in the great work of the last days. No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. And I show that to people, and you know, actually most average member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never heard that. Yeah, and well, long before you were born, I have, I kept all my priesthood manuals, the original priesthood manuals, and if our uh, camera was working, I'd show you a copy, and anybody can get this at a DI. Uh, this is the Melchizedek Priesthood Study Guide called uh, Come Unto Christ, and it covers the years uh, back in the day the church always printed and reused it. So 1994 and 1988, 1984 and 1988. And on page 142 uh, is exactly that same quote. So this has, uh, this compliments what you have, but this is an actual priesthood manual that was used on Sunday. And it says this, page 142, uh, let's see, the lesson is 20, the title of the lesson is Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restoration. So people could look this up online as well uh, from the priesthood manual, but it says here, quote, if we get our salvation, we have to pass by him, Joseph Smith. If we enter into our glory, it will be through the authority that he has received. We cannot get around him. Yeah, I'd say. I had heard that. Yeah, uh, so that, that. That's a solid, what you just read was a, a, a solid doctrine. And what you just read was uh, Journal of Discourses, uh, Volume 4, uh, page 272. 
And this one was published in, or copyright in 1988. Uh, so they're yeah, using... It was spoken by Brigham Young March 8th, 1857. So now, um, so you'd said before in, that uh, you used to be, that you were raised Catholic and you joined the, the LDS Church. Yes. What did your parents think when you joined? Uh Mm, that's a good question. They weren't really happy about it because my brother had already joined the Mormon church and uh, my brother married my wife's sister. We met totally independent, but uh, my brother and I were victims of what used to be called flirt to convert, <laughs> where they would send the cute little girls out and see who they could snag. It, it really didn't work that way because I fell in love with her first and it took a while for her to mature to really realize what a catch I was. And uh, why, why are you laughing? I don't get that. So, so uh, they were not happy about it. Uh, my brother and I were both uh, uh, altar boys, but we weren't really strict Catholics. So uh, it, it, it didn't go over. It didn't go over real well. But there was no serious opposition either. Kathy, what was what was your reaction when Lee? first told you that he was doubting the church. I thought he was possessed by Satan. And I uh, I even told him, I said, you know, what anti-Mormon literature are you looking at? Because I feel like you're possessed by Satan. Uh, so it was a shock to me. And then I even had us go to a LDS Mormon counselor. And when we went to the counselor, uh, it was for marital problems because of the church. That was the only thing we had and you know that was going wrong in our marriage. And when we went in, this counselor, a lady, she told us, she said, well, I can't answer these questions. And she said, I, I can deal with your marriage and problems you're having with your marriage. And I said, well, these questions that my husband's giving me, these are the issues. And I, we thought we'd come to an LDS counselor. How do we deal with this? <laughs> So she kicked us out of her office, and we Lee was raising a, a ruckus up front, and so the the head guy from the um, counseling LDS social, LDS social Services, he came out, and he says, I'll take you guys in. I'll talk to you. And, you know, we were just flabbergasted that she couldn't answer our questions. Uh, and not that she had to come up with answers, but to help us work through those questions. You wouldn't even hear them. Yeah, but I really did think he was possessed. And after we went for about three times to this counselor, because Lee thought it was, he said, it's going to be a waste of time, but I'll go. And I just thought it would bring him back. I thought, oh, they'll be able to bring him back. You know, that they'll break this curse that Satan has on him. After the third time, I said, okay, that's, we're done. We're not going back because this man was trying to justify polygamy and that Lee was, he was having dreams that I might be given to another man. And so this counselor told us, he said, well, Lee, at least you have the hope that in heaven, Kathy won't be given to another. So, you know, you don't know that for sure. She might not be given to another in the next life. And so I, I was supposed to pin my hope on that not happening it yeah. was it was a beautiful answer because it really spoke to kathy so uh, uh the smartest thing in, in a lot of ways and you and a lot of ex-mormons understand this in a lot of ways our best assets are the church leaders themselves the very first thing that caused me to have any doubts in the church is i was uh visiting 
some family in Oklahoma, and I went to, was visiting this uh, ward, and um, this was, they were on the subject of how the prophet is called and everything, and this man who was uh, speaking, he had said that, uh, you know, he said that uh, he didn't think it was ins divinely inspired that that the uh, the way the prophet is chosen, he said, because it's just whoever outlives the other one gets to be the next prophet. And he said that doesn't sound inspired. It's like if they pick some some kid from Africa to be the next prophet, that would sound inspired. And and well, they argued with him for a while, and then they asked him to leave. Well, what he said wasn't what bothered me. It was that they asked him to leave, and uh. <clears throat> and then so that kind of bothered me. And then. Um, then the first time I went to the temple, that was kind of a shocker because uh, with all the rituals and everything, and I said to myself, I'm in a cult. And then I'm like, oh, then I immediately felt bad because I thought that, and I, uh, and I was scalding myself for it. And then my stake president said, well, you just don't understand it yet, so you got to go more. And so I went every chance I got before my mission, but it still seemed weird. And what year was that, Gene? Were you there before 90? No, it would have been two thousand and one. Uh, well, the the penalty phase would have blown you away then. Uh, I had heard about it, uh, and my stake president actually told me about it. And then, oh. and then I went to uh, then another thing that bothered me too is you ever you ever noticed the contradiction in the Joseph Smith history in the doctor in the Pearl of Great Price. Which one? Well, if you open it up. He says, on the left-hand page, he says, I had often wondered which of all the churches were right or if they were all wrong together. Then on the other page, on the right, which is later in the timeline, and it says, you know, when he prayed and the God the Father and Jesus Christ came down to visit him, and Satan tried to stop him from praying and all that, and once he got was able to speak, he said, I asked which of all churches I should join, for at this time, it had never entered into my mind that all were wrong. <laughs> and I thought, what, wait, what? Yeah. Because it oh, was... I I've never noticed that before. Yeah, yeah, and what the church has done, along with the first vision, uh, is they have uh, blended church history together. So Joseph Smith probably didn't put it together that way, but in the 20s, 30s, or 40s, whenever... You know, they finally settled on a particular version. Yeah, there's like uh, twenty some versions of the first vision. Yeah, nine nine official versions. Well, not official, but nine uh, church recorded versions of the first vision. Yes, nine. I think it's interesting that in Lucy Mack's history of Joseph Smith, it doesn't mention anything about him mentioning anything about any visions. Be. Yeah. Uh, when he was younger, like when he was 14. She didn't mention anything about that. No, You're and that, right. in yeah. fact, it wasn't published until 1838. Uh, so that means that uh, the first members of the church joined the church without ever hearing the first vision story, 12 years. Well, yeah. I think he made it up later because if you... Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, if you read the Book of Mormon, it's obvious that his, doc that his, that his doctrine changed from the time he wrote the Book of Mormon or whoever wrote it for him or whichever version you believe. But from the time the Book of Mormon was written to the time that the Doctrine and Covenants was written, that there there was some significant changes in, in his doctrine. Mm -hmm. 
like polygamy, for instance, uh, Jacob uh, f- comes down fairly firmly against it, says it's an abomination. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you've ever run across anybody uh, that that had uh, time to research, but I've been looking for a couple of years. I've never found any instance where Joseph Smith actually taught from the Book of Mormon. That's significant. Huh. He was so busy, re- I mean, creating <laughs> new yeah. doctrine. I've read as much as I can to include most of the Joseph Smith papers and all of the manuals. Uh, uh, but and Joseph Smith is never uh, quoted as teaching from the Book of Mormon. Huh. That's rather strange. I never thought about that, but now that you mention it, I can't think of any either. No, I put I, years ago. I put a uh, a ten thousand dollar challenge out there. Maybe it was a thousand dollar challenge, you know, for anybody to come up with that uh, reference. But uh, as far as I know, Joseph never taught from the Book of Mormon. Huh. Yeah. And other things that you said as he was changing the Book of Mormon, Mosiah chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, it just amazed us, you know, that when we were reading that, how it talks about how Christ is both the Father and the Son. And it says, He shall make intercession and bear the transgressions of his people. But um, it talks about Christ. Oh, yeah, like the whole Abinadi before they burn him. He goes on and talk, it sounds a lot like the Trinity. Yeah, the, it does. It's a, it does. There's nothing in the Bible that is as clear as this. And then later, his first vision, you know, comes around and says that God has a body of flesh and bones, and Christ has a body of flesh and bones, and the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, we were told that the Holy Spirit would be the last spirit born onto Earth, and that He would then have a body at that time. So. Well, you know what's to be honest, the Book of Mormon actually has very little doctrine that contradicts oh. the Bible. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, it's that. not really the doctrine of the Book of Mormon so much that it's the, it's the uh, historicity, like the plants and animals that weren't in America and things like that that don't make sense. And my big problem the first time I read the Book of Mormon was with uh, the Jaredites. They have these ships that look like barges, and they have a hole in the top and a hole in the bottom, so whichever side is up, they can open it to get air. But if they're flipping around in the ocean with all these animals, you imagine they've got excrement everywhere, and... (sighs) (laughs) I mean, you think God would have come up with a better plan? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's, you're absolutely right. We have a section on our website that describes the fact that there's no Mormon doctrine within the Book of Mormon, and we list the uh, several doctrines within the Book of Mormon that actually teach against Mormon doctrine. Yeah, quite a few, actually. Okay, I've got a series on my podcast I'm working on right now where it's uh, uh, going through the Book of Mormon and look talking about errors, but also talking about where it contradicts later Mormon doctrine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, um, with the one where most of the crazy doctrine comes from, majority of it comes from the Pearl of Great Price. Mm-hmm. Well, Book of Abraham. And my yeah. my mission, I was told that whenever we write letters to family members or friends who are not in the church, that we should put a plug in there for the church and try to convert them. And mm-hmm. well, I have an uh, one of my uncles wasn't having any of it, so. He sent me a letter, and he said, You're defending the church as if I denigrated it somehow, but I've said nothing against your church. But now that you keep trying to force-feed it to me, I'm going to tell you something you don't know. And he went on, and he told me all about 
the history of the book of Abraham. Oh, and he yeah. gave me some proof, a bunch of proofs, and, I, and that bothered me. So I called my mission president, and I asked him about it. Well, first he yelled at me for even considering it, and then he said, you know the Book of Mormon is true, and that makes the entire church true. And if you don't know that it's true, you need to pr uh, get on your knees and pray about it until you do know it's true. And so... <laughs> It's amazing how they always put the guilt back on you. It's not what happened, but they put that guilt trip back on you. You're not praying enough. You need to get down and on your knees and pray. And the guilt is always back on the member. And you're not the one who did these disgusting things or came up with these fictitious uh, revelations. Yeah, it's just crazy. And, you know, it's when people would approach me and yell at me and tell me, oh, you're in a cult and stuff, that didn't affect me one way or the other. I mean, it didn't bother me. I'm just like, mm, whatever. Didn't, in that in no way made it so that I wanted to leave the church. But things that did affect me are when somebody told me something in a nice way, and then I later thought about it. Like, we're knocking on this door, and one guy that answered the door was this uh, pastor of a local church. And he said, okay, well, I'll let you guys in. Uh, you give me your best spill for your church. I won't interrupt you. Uh, I'll give you 10 minutes to say whatever you want under the condition that you give me the same courtesy. And so I said, okay, that sounds fair. And we went in and we talked. We gave him our best spill for the church. Well, he started on telling us what was wrong with it and telling us why Mormonism is not Christianity. And mm -hmm. my mission companion tried to stop him, but I said, Elder, we gave him our word. We got to sit here and listen to his part. And well, the things he said, I went, I went home and I tried to convince myself that the church was right. But there was things that I couldn't reconcile, but I kind of put them on the back burner until I went home for my mission. And but it was things like that that really started getting me to think like not when somebody was like yelling at me and uh, saying we're a member of a cult or anything like that. It was when somebody was nice, took the time to be really nice and polite and, and just point out out of genuine love and concern. Those are the things that later got me out of the church. Mm. Mm, excellent. That's yep. ah, good to remember. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't ever, most people don't change their minds when you're yelling at them. <laughs> yep, that's yeah, true. That's true. We, we've learned that. <laughs> Yeah, we've learned we've learned a lot since we came out of the church. You know, getting into arguments never uh, never is productive. Yeah. Have you ever you ever heard this uh, Adams Road Ministry? Oh, we know him very well. Okay. Well, I think it was interesting how he got out of the out of the Mormonism basically by just reading the Bible. Yep. Yes. And I, I like how the he was going to try to convert the Baptist preacher and how the Baptist preacher, I guess six months into his mission, is when he started talking to him, that that's when he had challenged him to read the Bible with the eyes of a child. And so he said for the next 18 months, he read that Bible and just really learned the Bible. On my mission, my mission president told me that I read the Bible too much. He said, he said, whenever you leave your apartment, I want you to leave the Bible at home and just take the Book of Mormon. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. And, and, and this was actually not the first mission president. This was my second mission president that said that. So I had two. Like halfway through my mission, my first mission president, it was time for him to go home. So I had a new mission president. So. 
It's wow. amazing. And then Mormons question, why do people think they're not Christian? And it's reasons like that. Mm-hmm. Well, when people in the church say that Mormon, that the LDS people believe in the Bible, and they think that all churches are good, but that just the LDS church has all the truth, I tell them that's not actually what you believe in your, and the Book of Mormon says so. And I point to the part where in Second Nephi, where it refers to all other churches as the church of the devil, and mm-hmm. it talks about how the Bible is corrupt and uh, causes people to go astray. And I said, that is really what the church's official view of the Bible and other churches are. Or is, right. I mean. Right, mm-hmm. right. But they change. Sandra Tanner, you know, her the title of her book says it all, one of her books, uh, The Changing World of Mormonism, because uh, you get such a different view depending on what year you're talking about the church. and. We've taken examples uh, many times to to explain that when I joined the church in 76, it's an entirely different church now that the missionaries that uh, that that taught me would not be able to teach the same way, uh, even the same subjects uh, at the time. Well, didn't you know know the church is still being restored? That's what, yeah, that's yeah. what uh, the current prophet said. Still, he said, if you think the church has been fully restored, you're just seeing the beginnings. And yeah. my issue with that is that the church believes that in the big apostasy, right? So let's say the church was started when Jesus started his ministry. So let's say 30, uh, say year 30. And yeah. then if it ended when the last apostle died, that would have been that would have been John when he died. Uh, he died at at about, uh, he died in um, uh, Ephesus, Ephesus after he got out of uh, his banishment. And so that would have been approximately 65 years. Mm-hmm. So in 200 plus years, the LDS church with all these miraculous visions and everything that supposedly happened in the first few years of the church, they weren't able to accomplish in 200 years what the original apostles did in 65. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Or the other alternative view is that it's not a restoration at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's a invention. Well, and it's just crazy that we didn't know the Word of God well, well enough to know that he said that his Word would never pass away, that the gates of hell should prevail, you know, against it. And... Um, but as if you don't know the word of God, if you don't know what the Bible says, then that's crazy. Even Jesus said in Luke 21, I think it's verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And for the Mormon church to come along and say that there had to be a falling away, there was a total apostasy on the earth, and then the restoration, that that was something that needed to occur, that it's not true. It's it's just not truthful at all. When when Jesus Christ Himself and God in the Old Testament is also saying that His words will never pass away, we just didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, we didn't know the Bibles. Jesus knew what He was talking about. But you know, I sometimes I think I didn't have a really good excuse for being suckered into the Mormon Church because I mean I I was joined as a convert when I was in my teens, and part of the reason is uh, my. My father was a Baptist minister, but he wasn't a very good guy, and he wound up dying in prison. Mm. And so, 
he hated the, the Mormon church, and so that's part of the reason I joined it was to spite him. Ah. But also there was this girl. <laughs> Always is. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but but starting off in the church though, they were able to. It looked they from what I was taught in the first while, it was looked like it was Christianity because they they taught their more mainstream views, and it, they slowly teach you the other stuff as you go along. And uh, one thing that bothered me is like, before my mission I got a patriarchal blessing and it was just only thing in the patriarchal blessings is things that, he, that I told him during the conversation. It's like there's nothing inspired about it and that really bothered me. And then the whole thing about them putting you in a tribe and then that kind of, you know, and that kind of bothered me. But then what bothered me more was a few years later when the church came out and said, okay, and now we're no longer doing that. Oh, they don't do patriarchal blessings anymore? They do, but they don't assign you to a tribe. Oh, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they stopped doing that a couple years ago. How okay. come? Uh, I don't know. They didn't give an official reason. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because the, the lo- there aren't the lost ten tribes. <laughs> <laughs> because Ephraim and Manasseh were getting pretty full. <laughs> uh, see, that's the other thing that I always had a problem with is, you know, they try to cover it up with saying the Melchizedek priesthood. But uh, the whole thing about they said that people of Book of Mormon were living the book, the uh, Law of Moses. But people from the line of Joseph were given the priesthood and they were had they had a temple outside of Jerusalem and they were offering sacrifices and I'm like no no that's not that's breaking the law of Moses that's right that's exactly right but they say well no because we had the higher priesthood and it was allowed but in the <laughs> Bible it says that only the tribe of Levi and that they can only offer the sacrifices at the temple and they said that it's a statute forever so mm-hmm. That's correct. Lee just recently wrote a book on the comparison between the Mormon, I mean, between the biblical temple and the many Mormon temples. Uh, just because as Mormons, we were always told that that the church, it was a restoration. The temple was a restoration of what used to happen in Solomon's temple. And of course, if you don't read your Old Testament, you know, we would muddle through it in um, Sunday school class, but we didn't really get into the deep doctrine. And so we just didn't know what was taught in the Bible. Got to watch you about that deep doctrine. It, you looking beyond the mark will cause you to go astray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. That's right. What that's is right. that? Jacob four twelve is something like that. I think. Mm. Jacob four something. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. <I'll believe> you. <laughs> uh, that's what. Anytime I would ask a question, they would. That they would say, "Well, that's deep doctrine," and then they would point me to that verse where, uh, the, where they went astray from looking beyond the mark. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. The get out of jail free card, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was commonly referred to, and so see, I've never been one of those people that I was just, if I didn't have an answer for something, that I'd be like, "Well, I guess I don't need to know and move on." I I've always needed an answer. Yeah. And they're not used to that. They want you to be a yes man and just keep quiet. See, I've realized, like, I'm, okay, I'm going to throw this right out and say I was definitely not the most humble missionary, but I was the most obedient and the hardest working missionary on my mission. Everybody knew it. And, but 
I was never given any kind of uh, leadership positions on my mission because while I followed every rule down to the letter, I questioned the rules. My mission president made this new rule. He said we had to, uh, we could only listen to music that the Mormon Tabernacle Choir produced. We couldn't even listen to church hymns or anything, just Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And I said, well, I said, well, so we can't listen to music published by the church if the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doesn't sing it. And he said, no. I said, but if the Mormon Tabernacle Choir were to sing like death metal or, or like uh, sexually suggestive music, you would let us listen to it. And he said, yes. And I said, ah. I said, I'm sorry, President, that rule makes no sense. And he said, Elder, you have to agree with me on this. And I said, no, I don't. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to like it. I just have to follow the rule. And he said, well, okay, I guess. Oh, man. <laughs> So, well, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir did the score, did the music for uh, several movies, like Paint Your Wagon and that. Mm. Does that count then? That's, I guess, that's, yeah. yeah. If they sang it, you can listen to it. Oh, yeah, also, yeah. they're not the Mormon Tabernacle Choir anymore. They're the choir at Temple Square. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I just can't believe how much money they're wasting on changing everything that, like, Mormon.org, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, rebranding. LDS everything. Church News is now just Church News. And, and wasn't it uh, amazing that they spent so much time and money on that? They were so proud of the program, I'm a Mormon. And now it's supposed to be embarrassing. How did well, that happen? Well, here's imagine the thing. The, imagine the producers of that outreach. They probably were proud of the fact that there were billboards and TV ads and even our grandsons, uh, you know, I'm a Mormon. And now you're supposed to look back on that and go, oh, I should apologize for that. Well, See, it's like this new prophet, he said, his wife said, he's, it's like he's been unleashed. He now can do all the things he wanted to do before. And so my problem with that is, if he had all these things he wanted to do, but the other prophets didn't want to do them, that doesn't sound like divine inspiration. That just sounds like a regime change. That's right. So that means that when he was a member of the Quorum of Twelve, he was leashed. He was muzzled. He was sat upon, and now he gets his. Uh, now he owns the backyard, so he gets to play his game. Exactly. You know, just speaking about prophets, I used to think that that was such a good quality when I was a Mormon that we had a living prophet that could give us the word of God, you know, direct from God for our day and age. But now I recognize it that they can rewrite scripture. And Lee has said many times. If a church removes, restricts, or rewrites the Word of God, then that church can and will wrongfully teach, preach, and practice anything in the name of God. And it's just so true because when you change the prophet, you can rewrite and, you know, make new restrictions. And, yeah. Oh. Well, and God's Word, he says, will endure forever. Are you familiar with this, with this quote? He who controls the present controls the past, and he who controls the past controls the future. Yep. Ah. George Orwell, 1984. Yep. Well, that is basically what the church is doing. They change it. They they tightly control the narrative that is taught so that to minimize the... They don't want people to ask questions. They want to say, well, this is what you're supposed to know. Anything else... If you need to know it, it'll be told to you, or otherwise you'll know it in the afterlife. And those days are gone now with the Internet. It's over. We can now look back and make comparisons and see the actual handwriting of Joseph Smith or 
the, the views of Emma uh, without a satirical review or without a, a uh, whitewashing. Uh, it's just amazing. Which is interesting because like the, the church used to say that the Book of Abraham, after the whole thing came out, that it wasn't a translation. They say, well, we didn't actually translate it. He was given a revelation because he was, while he was translating, he was given a, transla- a revelation. But the problem with that now is that with all the releases of Joseph Smith's diary, he says in yep. his diary that he was translating, and that, yep. and so that doesn't quite jive. And then the whole thing, like I had heard on my mission that Joseph Smith looked at a rock and a hat, and I thought, okay, that's stupid. That would, that's not right. That's just stupid. And then, <clears throat> like somebody pointed out to me, and I went to somebody's house, and they they told me that that happened. And I'm like, no, it didn't. He. he you translated it. It was sitting in front of me and translated it because that's all the picture show. But and then, and then a couple of years ago, the church published this pictures of the seer stone and admitted that he did the face and the hat. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big shocker. Yeah. That's just pure deception. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that really bothered me is that I, from when I went on my mission to when I came back, the temple had changed. Mm. They had mm-hmm. changed several things about the ordinances, like they changed the uh, washing and anointing. Uh, they really changed that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How long has it been since you've been to the temple? Ten, uh, years. ten years. Okay, so I'm trying to think. When was the last time I was there? Uh, yeah, back then they actually touched you oh, skin on skin. Okay, well, the last time I went is right after they changed it. So now uh, they you now you it used to be where you basically had this I'd say a, a sheet with a hole in the hole for your head, and they would they'd reach under and touch you, right? Well, now you wear your garments, and you put that thing over, and they touch your forehead and your knees. Oh wow! Ah, okay, <laughs> that is a big change. That's a major change. Yeah, and Brigham Young said that the temple should never change. Yeah, well, it's changed. It used to be a two-hour-long movie years ago, and then it changed to 90 minutes. And then the what they took out the, of course, the penalty phase where that you'd, mm-hmm. you know, make the action of slicing your throat if you ever gave up the secrets of the temple. Hey, so Lead said that you know what uh, was a big thing that changed that uh, made him doubt the church. What was it for you that made that? What was the thing that really did it for you that made you actually doubt the church and start coming around and realizing it wasn't what you thought? Um, It started off with polygamy because Lee was really into the whole polygamy. And at first I was like, Lee, I said, that was in the past. It's not a big deal. That's in the past. And he said, Kathy, but it's going to return in the future. So reading Doctrine and Covenants section 132, reading the section heading, how it talks about that you're going, that um, you will, that uh, polygamy is required to go back to heaven. I'm not saying it exactly how. But then reading verse 61 and how Joseph Smith, because as women, we would always talk and say, oh, well, if my husband wants to practice plural marriage, he has to get my permission, and I'm just going to say no. So, you know, that way I know that I won't have any plural sister wives. But then when I recognized, and Lee pointed it out to me in my own scriptures, 
that Joseph Smith broke all three laws of polygamy, where the first law is that she must be vowed to no other, and that's in Doctrine and Covenants section 132, verse 61, that she can be vowed to no other, that she um, can, that she must be a virgin, and that, I'm, I'm saying I'm first, wrong, I'm sorry, wife. the first one is that Emma, the, that the first wife has to give her permission. So the first wife has to give her permission. The second one was that she has to be a virgin. And third was that she can be vowed to no other, not married. And so Joseph Smith, the first, I think it was the first nine women that he was married to, Emma knew nothing about, didn't even know about them. So he didn't get her permission on those. And then he was he practiced polyandry, which means he was married to married women. Well, and so those when he sent Orson Hyde to dedicate the Holy Land, while Orson Hyde was gone, he married his wife. Yes, Miranda <laughs> Hyde. Oh, I, I know. And stories like that, that Lee started to show to me, and he would show me on the Mormon website, and did, he also show me in my own scriptures. Did you compare what the Bible says about, though? Uh, so oh. he compared, he did, Joseph Smith did several things that are specifically unbiblical, like yes. it says that, uh, you can't marry a woman and her sister. You can't yeah. marry a mother, a woman and her mother. And uh, so he did. He did some mother-daughter combos and some sisters. And those are some things that specifically said are an abomination. Exactly. And we were um, when we were thinking about leaving the church. When we were starting. When I finally was on board with Lee of of doubting the church, but we were still kind of hanging on, like. It, it was kind of like a roller coaster ride where one minute I was feeling, okay, the church is wrong, we're going to leave. And then I'd go to church and hear a talk or talk to our stake president or someone, and then I'd feel, oh, we should stay. And I, it was just such a back and forth. And I was really praying to God that he would send someone into our life that who was a Mormon who would just be able to answer all these questions that we had about the church. Well. I was praying wrong because I was praying for a Mormon member to come into our life and explain this stuff to us. And God was trying to tell us to leave. And what really broke the camel's back for me was when in Relief Society, growing up in Colorado, I had never had a lesson in my 50 years in the church on becoming a goddess of my own world. I knew about it. Of course, it's one of those secrets you hear later, and women, you know, we would kind of talk a little bit amongst ourselves jokingly at homemaking meeting about, oh, well, when I have my world or this or that, but but not really. And so this woman came in, and the Stake Relief Society president, and she was like this, like some actress up front, just being very dramatic and saying, sisters, can't you just wait until the day that you can become a goddess of your own world with your husband at your side? Can't you just wait? Sitting next to me was a newly baptized member that I just met that morning. She was baptized the day before. Hmm. And when she's going into detail about becoming a goddess of our own world, all you have to do is pay your tithing, go to church, do your visiting teaching. She she rather Except no visiting and teaching anymore. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's when I came out and I told Lee, I said, I just had a lesson on becoming a goddess of my own world. 
And it's the first time it hit me that that is multiple gods. I said, as Mormons, we believe in multiple gods. And I said, I believe in one God of creation. And that's that's what did it for me. I was then by then I was we were I was ready to leave. Well, and you know, the, the Mormon God, too, not only is he not the only God, but the Mormon God doesn't have as much power as the God of the Bible because uh, he doesn't even have the power to create things. He just has the power to assemble them out of stuff that already existed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yonder is matter unorganized. So I just got a copy of the book. And I'll send it to you or anybody on the podcast if they uh, okay. like a copy. It's called A Comparison of the Biblical Temple and the Numerous Mormon Temples. The uh, subtitle is How the Biblical Temple of God is Ridiculed by the Mormon Church. And uh, we've spent a, a couple of uh, uh, trips to Jerusalem uh, and worked with rabbis to build this. I even have the baptismal uh, um, documentation of Adolf Hitler and uh, Eva Braun in the book when they were uh, uh, sealed in the temple there as well. So, And just, I'm, I know we're getting off on a little rabbit trail here, but about the temple, that from how I had left, but I had never noticed in the Bible in Matthew chapter 22 when the Sadducees come to Jesus and they ask him, they say, there's this woman and she was married to this man and he died and then the, the law said for him to be married to the next brother. And so she married, he had seven brothers. Okay, so she's married to seven men. And they say, so in heaven, whose wife will she be out of the seven brothers? And Jesus says, you do err not knowing the scriptures. There is no marriage in heaven. You will be like angels. He doesn't say we will be angels, but we will be like angels. And um, that's the first time that I really realized that, wow, the whole focus in Mormonism is families are together forever. You're going to go to the temple for eternity to be with your family and you're sealed for eternity. But yet in the Bible, Jesus Christ himself said there's no marriage in heaven. And so we just had such a mixed understanding, a mixed up understanding between what what the but because we didn't go by the bible we went by the book of mormon it was our fault i mean yeah we it, were ignorant because yeah. we read the book of mormon more than we read the bible and anyone can be fooled you know if you don't read the bible so before a uh, little bit off the topic before so i don't forget here at the end what is uh if someone if you someone wants to contact you or learn learn more about uh, your ministry uh where would they look we have a, a fairly detailed website that has uh, phone contacts and email contacts and uh, uh, not podcasts, but uh, archives of our radio programs, both in Utah and in Africa. But it's leebaker.formormon.org. Uh, and, and it's uh, the number four. So it's leebaker. The, num- the numeral four. Mormon.org. And actually, there's enough pages. If anybody just Googles Lee Baker Mormon, that'll do it. Okay, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll put the uh, link in the show notes as well, so it makes it easy for people oh, to find. Appreciate it, appreciate it. And we, we fall under the Ministry of Witnesses for Jesus, uh, but this is our website, 
that we just gave you. Okay. And See, we, love, we love helping people out. I don't, and I don't, I don't make any money whatsoever on this podcast, and it takes a lot of my time and effort. But I consider this uh, to be my ministry, and I focus on helping people who are struggling with faith and people who are uh, in the Mormon Church. And so that that's basically my focus, and so that's why that's why I call it recovering faith. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yep. And that's what we do. We don't make any money as well. We spend so much of our money and our time doing things, but we do fall under an umbrella of witnesses for Jesus. Uh, but yeah, we don't make anything as well. Oh, sorry, I good. To ask you, yeah. Where did you serve? Where did you serve your mission? Okay, so I was. I was on the Hawaii Honolulu mission. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, Hawaii Honolulu mission. Um, uh, I was older than most of the other missionaries because I joined the church as a convert, and so I left on my mission at 21. And, uh, but yeah, I was. So that would have been from. What was it 2000 and December of 2001 until December of. 2000. Four, three, four. 2003. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Math. Okay. Math we hard. Public schools too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that was uh, where I went and saying, you know what? I was, because I was so excited and on fire for the church when I joined it, I thought everybody was. And so I went to the MTC and no, no. Oh, yeah. How was that? Did well, you go to Provo? I went to Provo. Um, I realized that most missionaries are only there because they realized they'd never get married in the church if they didn't serve a mission. And so on my mission, a lot of missionaries thought that I was proud of myself and arrogant, but I really wasn't. What it really was is that I was trying to work. My goal for my mission was to exceed the commitment required. And most other missionaries didn't even meet the minimum requirements. And so there, I was, I, I'll admit, I judged them heavily. <laughs> I was thinking, well, if this is such an important thing, why aren't you just spending every waking moment trying to bring people into the church? It's such an important thing. But then I realized it wasn't that important to them. They were just there because they had to be. Yeah. I was there because I thought it was the most important thing. So, Kathy, if you did you get your records removed from the church, or did they excommunicate you too, or you... No, after um, after Lee was excommunicated, I asked my bishop right there at the excommunication, I said, well, I would like my name removed from the records of the church. And he said, well, you're going to have to write a letter. I said, I can't just tell you. <laughs> Here, my husband's been excommunicated. And and they said, he said, no, you have to write a letter and give it to me or mail it to me. And I'll send a copy up to church headquarters. So then when I received my letter back, um, it, within that it said that they wanted me to make, for me to know that my excommunication meant that my baptism was no longer valid. Mm -hmm. And at first I was upset about that because I thought, I thought, well, you know, I don't want to be connected with the church, but I thought I was baptized because I believed in Jesus Christ. But no, when you're baptized in the Mormon Church, you're baptized into that organization, and so that excommunicates. That's uh, why I got. I later got baptized, you know, yes. uh, as a born again Christian. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was hard for me to get my records removed because even though I knew it wasn't true, even uh, I kept thinking, well, what if it is? And then, but logically, I knew it wasn't. And then, 
But then, it, so it wasn't until I became a born-again Christian that I had them remove my records. And uh, I had heard all the kind of horror stories, like it's super hard to get your records removed and you have to get an attorney and all this, but I just wrote a letter to the membership department and said I wanted my records removed and that I didn't want anything to do with the church anymore. They sent me a letter back that said, this is an ecclesiastical matter, we can't do it until we have approval from the stake president, so they f said they forwarded my letter with that copy of that letter to uh, my stake president. And then about two weeks later, they said that my stake president would get in contact with me, but he never did. And like two weeks later, I got a letter from the church that said that your records have been removed and, and all of your ordinances have been canceled and what, so forth and so on. And so it was pretty easy. It was not difficult at all. I just had to write a letter and send it, and it took about a month. So. Uh, and if anybody who's wanting to get their records removed, if you go to my website, genecurl.com, and there is a uh, section on my site about Mormonism, and I have uh, detailed instructions on how to write the letter, where to send it to, and everything, and uh, with, a, with a copy of my letter and everything that you can use as a format and whatnot if you would like to get your records removed. That's great. Awesome. I understand we've been told that nearly... Uh, uh, a thousand people a month leave. That's substantial. Yep. I heard that it's even that a lot of the people that are leaving are in um, African countries too. Oh yeah, we just got back from a, a two a week tour. Uh, a missions trip. Missions to trip to Liberia. Liberia, and they are really hungry for <laughs> real information. And Gene, what's really amazing over there and refreshing is both the Mormons and the the Christians, they don't dance on the documentation and the witness that we bring. Here in America, you know, the Mormons will say, well, we don't really know how many people uh, Joseph was with, and we don't know this, and we don't, and they dance around the story. Well, in Africa, the Mormons were just, didn't want to be lied to. Uh, it, 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 their, their integrity was much higher than anybody we've ever met in Utah. I mean, a uh, little off topic here, but you had, I know in a previous program you talked about your problems with uh, President Sin or with uh, Elder Sinclair. Yes. And I've, yeah, I've yeah. met him before. Uh, so with all of that, did, did you wind up actually getting any, uh, uh, getting convicted of anything or did the charges get dropped or how did that wind up? Oh, I'm still on probation. I'll send you a copy of that book too. Uh, yes, I was convicted. Uh, I was charged with three felonies and 18 misdemeanors and uh, finally plea bargained down to three misdemeanors and I'll send you a copy of that book. Wow. Uh, it's called Jailed for Teaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ in America. It, it's awesome. Yes, and I'm not off probation until the 10th of March this year. And, oh, 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, huh. this coming year. Well, I, so, I met Elder Sinclair um, when I in Idaho, I don't. He was there with uh, a visiting member of the seventy, and he was there too during one of our state conferences. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I don't want to go too much over my over my uh, normal time here, but uh, I greatly appreciate you guys, um, you guys coming on my podcast, and appreciate you guys sharing your story. Um, is there any uh, thing that you'd like to leave in? Uh, leave for the listeners here at the in at the end of the show. 
No, well, I, I might just uh, mention that while I was Mormon, I didn't know what a life verse was or the importance of a life verse as, as you go through the Bible and a, a particular scripture that really speaks to you. And uh, after we had been in this ministry, reaching out to Mormons for some time, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 to 14 really spoke to me because Paul was taking some heat about why is he picking on the split-offs of the church that were bringing false doctrine in. And uh, I'll quote what he said, but it, it, it kind of sums up, I'm in no comparison to Paul. That's not the point of this. But the words he uses describes what I believe we're doing. And he said, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And uh, that's really, we love the Mormon people. We've, we've lost some of our children and grandchildren uh, to this mission, but we know that uh, how dangerous it is to feel comfortable in Mormonism and and not know the, the true word of God. Well, you know what I say, I've said to people too, uh, point out the verse that don't believe a different gospel even if we preach it to you or if an angel preaches it to you, and then I throw in even if that angel's name is Moroni. <laughs> yes! Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. I Wait. love that. And right there where it's talking about that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, when Lee was just reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it just amazes me that that's how, the, like you say, was it Moroni or Nephi? That's how the angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith, was in a pillar of light in his bedroom. Well, have you ever been to the, Joseph, the, the, to the Smith home in New York? No, I, I have a, a, several cease and desist orders directly from the church, and one of them is uh, I can't be on any church property worldwide. Okay, well, I went there this summer, and looking in, it's like a really small house. And the loft area where Joseph Smith slept is open to the downstairs. And he slept upstairs with all his brothers. And I was thinking, with all that light lighting up the house the entire night, how did nobody else wake up? <laughs> I mean, it was like brighter than the noonday sun, and everybody slept right through it. Yeah. Because it was his spiritual eyes, that's why. Well, yeah, like Oliver Cowdery, not Oliver Cowdery, I mean, uh, uh, Martin Harris said he never saw the angel with his real eyes, but his spiritual eyes. Yeah, never mm -hmm. saw the plates either. <clears throat> and, and that's why I think when Martin Harris said he didn't see the angel and they didn't see him, and so he went away and then they saw the angel and then he came back. And so I think that was because they're like, yeah, we can trick him. Let's let's tell him we saw it and that he's yeah. not righteous enough and he has to do some more repenting. And right. one, one last thing, though, real quick, is that, okay, so you know in the book of Enos, Enos was Jacob's son, and he prays and asks God to forgive him for his sins. And he hears the voice of God that tells him that he's forgiven. And he says, I knew that God cannot lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I asked him, how was it done? And the voice tells him, you are forgiven from your sins because of your faith in Jesus Christ, whom you have never before seen nor heard. And I said, right there, he's telling him that his sins were forgiven, not 
because of his works, not because of anything he did. His sins were forgiven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's significant. Mm, mm. That is. It is. That is. That's faith alone in Christ alone. And that's that's what I preach every chance I get, is that the important thing is it's a, it's all Jesus. You know, I always say that <clears throat> it's, the Mormons say that that grace is like a ladder that is less down, but we still have to climb it. And I say, no, that's not what grace is at all. Grace is like, uh, it's more like we're out in the middle of the ocean, we're drowning. And grace is like the Coast Guard coming to get us. And all we have to do is not fight against them and let them save us. Yep. Uh-huh. That's, that's, more, that's grace. That's more accurate. That's more accurate. Yeah. And have you ever read the definition in the, your quad of grace in the Mormon Bible Dictionary? Yes, yes. Oh, it's amazing. It's all about works. It's, you know, they talk a little bit about the atonement, but then about works. And um, I love Galatians 2.21, where it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thanks again for coming, and I will make sure that I... I point everybody to your to your ministry, and if uh, you could do the same and direct people to my podcast, that would be appreciated. And I will, uh, God bless, and thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.